Hello and welcome to a lovely summary episode of Off the Shelf. It's nearly the bank holiday weekend when we record this. You'll probably listen to this after the bank holiday weekend, so I hope you're having a lovely end of summer. My guest this week is Amy Lavelle. She is a freelance journalist who's written for, well, everything. She's written for the likes of Grazia, Glamour, Red, The Pool, Metro, Telegraph and The Independent. She also writes a fashion column for Simply Knitting, if that is your kind of thing. She also is the sub-editor for Holt Publishing's monthly, monthly All About magazines. Her novel, her novel, Definitely Fine, is how I came across Amy. As long-term listeners will know, my mum is very unwell, and this book is about, well, is inspired by Amy's own experience of her mum passing away when she was younger. Her debut novel, Definitely Fine, is out now and is published by Orion Fiction. Welcome to my guest this week, Amy Lavelle. Hi, Amy. How are you? Hi, I'm fine. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. So I am about two thirds of the way through your book, Definitely Fine, which is, I understand, your debut novel and it came out this year? It is. And yes, it did. Yes, that's exciting. So long term listeners will know that my mum is not very well. So this is why I'm two thirds through the book, because it's about um, the main characters, loss of their mum and getting through that. So obviously it's just a bit heavy reading for me but a question I had for you was is that personal experience you're writing from it is yes so my mum died about six years ago and um in the wake of that I read so many books about grief and loss um obviously excellent books like Joan Didion's Year of Magical Thinking um but I wasn't really finding anything that spoke to my specific experience of feeling like I was completely fine when obviously I wasn't <laughs> and um what to do when you're in that very strange headspace I think also coincides with being in my mid-20s as I was at the time so I thought well let's turn this experience into something into a novel so yeah I fictionalized it and wrote definitely fine I yeah I I completely see that again long-term listeners will know I'm trying to write and not making a very good hash of it but <laughs> that was something that was really triggered by my mum being very ill. Uh, It's a bit bit of a weird one how that makes you kind of reflect on on things and in so I'm mid to late mid to late shall we say 20s and I read your book and I really identify with sometimes you just need to drink tequila sometimes you just need to dance on the table and sometimes (laughs) And again, I'm an older sibling too. So I, re- I read, I, I don't know if, if um, the sister in the book is based on a real life sibling, but I'm an older sibling too. And I read it and I'm like, yep, exactly. Oh, yeah, completely. <laughs> I'm so glad that it rings true. Yeah, sometimes you do seem to drink tequila and um, yeah, it's just, you just have to do what you have to do to get through it sometimes. And that might mean dancing on a table when you least expect to, but that is okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's okay you've got to get through the day I completely agree so this book was it a long time coming did you was it one of those ones where you kind of started and stopped or once you started was it did it just flow um so so I sort of conceived of the idea and I was as I'm a freelance journalist I it sort of came out in a few different ways I was obviously pitching stories based on aspects of Greece because you know I'm used to scouring my personal life for stories Mm -hmm. 
Um, and then I thought, well, maybe I'd write a sort of memoir about it. And then I thought, no, I can't do that because I don't want my, I don't want to write anything real about my family and have them all hate me. So, so then I did a, um, a creative writing course and that was really when I did properly formed into something. And I thought, well, I could do this and this could be, a, like I say, a fictionalized account of grief that um, inspired by real experiences to maybe to turn that experience into something positive um, as well. So, so I um, started writing on that course and then I think a few years after I started it, I signed with my agent and then it came out. So yeah, relatively long time in the process, sort of probably like three years from starting it to signing with Orion, our publishers. Interesting. And I see what you mean about it being something which um, it, it it reads like a fiction book. Well, obviously, I know I know it's inspired by, inspired by your personal experience, but I find the chapter titles. So they're like how to adult how to cope when things go wrong etc etc so it's kind of like a self-help book but non but non-fiction I find it really interesting I think it's one of those ones that it like transcends a bit of boundaries well that's very kind of you to say that was something that I sort of hoped for a bit when writing it also felt like the easiest way to sort of marshal it um so it takes place over the course of a year but also it's these very specific experiences you're trying to get through which I find happens in real life is suddenly left out wondering how to do all these very specific things like Christmas and birthdays and all that thing. So I'm glad that came across. Well, it's funny you say that. So in at Easter 2020, um, my mom was in a coma and it wasn't looking good. And I turned to my brother and I said, if she dies on Easter, we're never selling, celebrating Easter again. I was like, I don't care. We're going to go away. And every Easter we're going to get really, really drunk and we're just not going to celebrate Easter. There'll be no chocolate eggs. And I don't know if, I mean, touch wood she pulled through at that point but if she hadn't of I don't know whether I would have kept to that because I do love a good chocolate egg oh I mean I think you need lots of chocolate eggs to, to get you through it sometimes you have to knuckle down and eat that egg so yeah well exactly <laughs> exactly so the reason why we are here actually is to discuss your book pick so the first book that you've chosen is the book that changed your life so could you tell us about that book so the book I chose for this is Heartburn by Nora Ephron um, my friend sent this to me actually a few years ago. He said, um, I just, I read it and I thought of you, your type of humour. And I shamefully didn't really know about Nora Ephron back then. I mean, I loved <laughs> films like You Got Males, my teen years watching that. Um, well, I, I have a similar, sorry, so I have a similar story. I knew I Love You, Got Mail is one of my favourite films. And I knew that Nora Ephron directed, but I didn't know that she wrote as well until very recently. So I'm exactly the same. Oh, well, good. I'm not alone with this. I had no idea he'd written a novel. So, um, so he sent me that and I read it in probably a sitting. And the thing that really struck me about it, apart from just, I just loved all of it and the humour and everything was so my my type of funny. But um, she says that she wrote, it was a fictionalised account of her divorce from her husband, Carl Bernstein, um, the affair that he had and then the divorce that followed when she was pregnant with their second child. Ooh. And she said that she wrote it because she wanted to make something funny out of something at the time that really wasn't funny. And that just something I read it and said, oh my God, that's exactly what I want to do. So that in that way, it inspired me to write Definitely Fine about, as I said, losing my mum. So yeah, so, and that all really originated properly with, with Heartburn. So, you know, as, really someone, as someone who has read most of your book, I yeah, I get it. It is, it's funny. And then I sometimes... I don't know if other people who have read your book have got this. I Sometimes I read it and I laugh and I'm like, oh, I shouldn't laugh. But then I'm actually <laughs> putting myself in the shoes of the main character. I probably would laugh because if you didn't laugh, you'd cry. Yes, no, please laugh. 
Um, yeah, well, I think it's, it's such a British thing as well, isn't it, to make there's it, there's never really too soon to make a joke about something dark like gallows humor. So um, <laughs> very <yeah>. true, <laughs> very true. No, and I actually, like I said, I didn't know that Nora Ephron wrote books until very recently, and I actually haven't made my way through any of her books because mm-hmm. I'm sure, as you know, there's so many books and never enough time, um, oh, and it's just a never-ending cycle. But absolutely, well, her that's very short. So, oh, interesting. <laughs> okay, really well. Yeah, interesting. All right. So your second book is the is your favourite book that you read as a child. And I'm just going to kind of uh, take your thunder a bit here. So the book you've chosen is Double Act by Jacqueline Wilson. And I also was a massive Jacqueline Wilson fan when I was younger. And I have to say, Double Act probably wouldn't be them because my favourite. I was a really big fan of The Lottie Project. And there's another one called Midnight. Um but I think all of them are great. So I don't know if I could, if I could pick a favourite, but you've gone for Double Act. So tell us about that. I have gone for Double Act. So it's about twins, identical twins, Ruby and Garnet. Um, so who are obviously physically identical, but personalities are very different. And Ruby is a dominant twin and Garnet just goes along with it. And basically the book chronicles what happens to them and their relationship is tested and they're sort of learning to take separate paths. Um, yeah, so I just, I've read, pretty much all of Jacqueline Wilson's books and it was so hard to choose one actually so hard to choose one for this category because I read prolifically as a child and I still do and you know I could have done Nancy Drew or the famous five or anything but I just thought Double Act is one of those ones that's really stuck with me and I think in part because of my I'm going to say very millennial obsession with twins you know, the Olsen <laughs> twins there's um if you ever watch Funhouse the twins on that Melanie and twin Melanie and Tina twin cheerleaders um, and the parent trap Oh, the God, the parent trap, of course. I mean, seminal film there. I have almost missed that. Um, so I think that's why yeah. it really stuck me because obviously as a child, I was always just like, oh God, I wish I was a twin. I want someone to do this stuff with. Sister, sister, another one. Um, and I think it's taken me, it took me longer than it should have done to realise just how dark most of Jacqueline Wilson's books are. I yeah, but I think, that's, I think that's the beauty of them. There's, there's a reading when you're a child and then there's a reading when you're an adult and you realise kind of what she doesn't say of why, because a lot of them are a bit tragic. There are kind of absent, absent parents or parents that aren't taking, you know, good care of their children. And as a child, you don't, as a child, you just take it as given if that's just the way it is. But when you're an adult, you're like, oh, actually, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and I know recently she's rewriting, um, uh, my God, Tracy Beaker, isn't it? She's rewriting yeah. with sort of influence from people who have been through the care system I think mm. um I think the new really Tracy like, Beaker is grown-up Tracy Beaker yes yeah yeah I'm looking forward to reading no. that <laughs> I'm looking forward to reading that but I have to say my favorite thing about Jacqueline Wilson books was always the names of the characters so I used to love um I think the book was also called Lola Rose but I used to love the name Lola Rose I was like that's a great name that is a great name and I mean Ruby and Garnet for twin girls I can't decide if it's brilliant or awful <laughs> <laughs> you know they stand out <laughs> yeah they do they do mm. no I, I said I used to love all Jacqueline Wilson so tell us about the next book you've chosen which is your favorite non-fiction book yeah so again this is such a hard choice I could have just come here with a hundred different book choices <laughs> and been here for hours. you'd be surprised how often that comes up <sighs> yeah it's, it's tricky I kind of went and think okay I got this I was like no I do not so I read a lot of non-fiction 
as a journalist and um, I have chosen, this is a story of a happy marriage by Anne Patchett, which is a book of essays that sort of uh, part memoir um, and it covers the big events in Patchett's life. So the essays on her marriage and one on her trying out for the police academy because her father was a policeman um, in America. And, um, but I chose it because I love it for her essays where she describes writing and the creative process. And I keep going back, it's actually, it was um, recommended on a writing course I did for that exact reason. And it's one I keep going back to for that. Um, and I think she's written the best analogy of writing that I've read, which is when you're, you conceive a book and it's this beautiful butterfly in your mind, but in order to get it down to paper, you have to smash it and squash it and pin it down. And to the point where it ends up this mangled thing, there's nothing like what you originally conceived of, but that is a finished novel. And I just think it's so perfect. And every time I speak to a writer, I'm just like this, this is what writing is. I just haven't heard anyone else articulate it so well. So I just think she writes perfectly about that process. Um, and yeah, I just, I just returned to it so many times to, to get that inspiration back and just to sort of have that release of someone else that sort of gets this, like, yes, this is it, this is it, <laughs> this is writing. See, that's really interesting. So obviously I've heard of other um, writing guidebooks, I suppose you'd call them. So probably the most famous one I've read is Stephen King uh, nice. on on writing. And then I've read How Fiction, it's How Fiction Works by James Woods. James Wood. Okay. Um, I'll check those in the sh in the show notes. Um, but I read those. But again, Anne Pratchett is another example of someone who I knew her for her fiction book. So she recently had a really big hit, I suppose you'd call it, um, called The Dutch House. And again, I didn't realise that she wrote nonfiction. So thanks for bringing that to my attention. Oh, you're welcome. I actually haven't read any of her fiction, so I've only done the nonfiction side. So it's a different part of the <laughs> different spectrum. But but yeah, I just I just love this. Um, yeah. I think it's just such a fantastic collection. No, I'm the same. Whenever I see a, a that kind of book or an interview in a magazine with someone about their creative process, I'm always reading it like, what's the secret? And do you know what? The older I get, the more I realise the secret is you just have to do it. You have to show up. You have to sit down and you have to write the words. That is that's it. There's no like clever way of doing it. <laughs> Yeah, there's no magic. It's just arse on chair, <laughs> get it written, essentially. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> arse on chair, get it written, get it done. Um, yeah. yeah. And actually, do, so do you find that you write, and I've had um, various authors and debut authors on now, and I always ask this question, where do you feel like, so you've touched one that you're a freelance journalist, so you're probably a bit more flexible in your time, but people I've had on the writers, you have kind of nine to five day jobs, they write, mostly in the morning I think I'm a bit of a uh, an anomaly in that I find my creative process better in the evening so how do you structure your writing in your day I yes I'm actually the same as you I always think that I tend to do I think my natural writing time is later at night so I'm going to bed and then suddenly at 2am it's like right well I had the entire idea let's go sit down and write it um, I so I had um Christina Sweeney Baird on who wrote her debut novel at the end of men came up this year and she said her prime writing time is 10 p.m to 1 a.m yes that, yeah that that sounds about right um although now I have to structure my day completely differently um and I have done for a while actually because um I found when I first went freelance a few well years ago now but five years ago um my now husband works a nine to five so it really worked for me to structure my day around around that sort of nine to five structure so when yeah. he comes in we just both stop for the day and it's dinner and all the rest of it rather than just sort of writing or working anytime, which also works with pitching people. But as for creative writing, my writing now, I had a, had a baby nine months ago. So my, my time has really had to change. So now it's pretty much just 
rising when she naps um and then all weekend my husband will just take her for the whole weekend and look after her and I'll be spending every day just full day of writing which is great um so it's really obviously changed the way that I have to structure my day but I have found it useful in that it's just weeded out the procrastination because if you've only got an hour before the baby wakes up to write something then you're using that hour to put your words to paper you're not sort of doing what I used to do which is messing around on social media and reading other people's essays <laughs> for a couple of I hours. I have heard that actually you think you're busy and then you have kids and you realize how much free time you actually had. Yeah, yeah. you really do. Well, I should know it's one of the obnoxious things that parents say but <laughs> but no it's, it's, it's really it's, I've had to obviously force me it's forced me to have a very different structure but it has been um, much more productive than I thought it would be so far <laughs> when she's young at least. Oh, that's good. You don't want it to have gone the other way. So your fourth book is the book that made you cry. Now, I won't say which book you've chosen yet, but you've chosen a book by Steinbeck. And Mm. I, along with pretty much every other teenager in the UK, studied Steinbeck for English at school. And I did Of Mice and Men. And I have to say, that's the only book of his I've ever read. Yep. (laughs) Yes, so I was pretty much the same. I chose East of Eden and I'd done the same, read of Mice and Men at school for GCSEs and I tried Grapes of Wrath and just couldn't get on with it. And Steinbeck just does this thing, I find, of like the first 10 pages are just a description of the sort of Californian arable landscape in the early 20th century, which is just not my thing. And I really struggled to get past it. But my brother recommended this to me. Um, And I should say as well, I don't, I'm weird I cry a lot but I don't tend to cry at books or films whereas my brother cries a lot at books and films um but this one oh so I, it's one of those stories I can't really talk about the plot without just giving it away but essentially it's a multi-generational story of two families the Trasks and the Hamiltons who are both farmers and oh it's just so beautifully written it really sort of dwells on good and evil and lots of, sort of biblical themes and references but not in the incredibly dense way that sounds um mm. the characters are just so beautifully captured it's so fraught with emotion and I read it probably about four years ago now and some scenes and characters just continue to live in my heart and just I think of them and they just I get that pang so I, I cannot recommend it enough it's one Steinbeck I just say just pursue it just read that one it's beautiful well, I have to say, I didn't love Mice and Men. When we did it at school, I really uh, preferred watching the film, shall we say. Um, but the <laughs> film was very good, to be fair. But it is just one of those things where I think with a lot of older writers like that, you just need to find one specific book of theirs that speaks to you. So I've recently started in Hemingway's back catalogue and I recently read The Torrents of Spring. Hated it. Could not get on with it. Um so I'm going to try something else. I might try Farewell to Arms because I think, yeah, with some writers, you won't necessarily love all of their books, but there's just one, there'll be one that speaks to you. Absolutely. I have the same thing with Dickens, actually. I did a module on him at uni and I I, I don't like Oliver Twist. I mean, I love the film, but not the book. Um, but then I read, um, oh my God, I forgot the title again. Every single time I talk about this book, I forget the title, which is really unhelpful on the book's <laughs> podcast. Um, <laughs> What's anyway, who's in the book? Just well, charades it. Describe oh the book. <laughs> so it's Pip and Oh, his... great expectations. No, oh my god, I've got one character now as well. Okay, hang on. Which one is Uriah Heap in? It's Uriah Heap. He's in it. And 
I love it and I could I, honestly it's one of the books um, that I could write um an entire David Copperfield thank you so David uh, Copperfield Logan Pip David sorry <laughs> get them used to this um I could write an entire dissertation just on the homoerotic nature of David Copperfield and you're a hype, you're a heap and I just yeah but I'm not great with the rest of Dickens work so yeah I think you just have to find that one gateway novel and maybe that can just be it. <laughs> no I'm, I'm the same with Dickens, love Christmas Carol, everything else I'd rather watch yeah. the film yeah, or in, Oliver's taste, on in Oliver's case the musical. <laughs> Absolutely the musical, definitely has to be the musical. <laughs> yeah I think it's just finding the right book so we've whistled through these moving on to your final book the book that everyone should read you've chosen um a book by a very prolific author so i'm interested why you've chosen this book over all of her other work so please tell us what you've chosen so i chose the glass lake and i think i've read every single book that may Binchy has ever written <laughs> <laughs> and again it's one of those books being described the plot is sort of hard to do without spoilers but it's like a lot of Binchy's books are set in a village in ireland in the 50s and the focus is on kit whose mother disappears when she's young and it's suspected that she drowned um and it's sort of focused on Kit through her life as she goes back to this village and the sort of community of characters in this village and I started reading Binchy when I was a young teenager and my mum and I were just both reading all her books and stopping them and talking about them and I really feel like Binchy gets a lot of snobbery I remember reading um when we had a sort of a reading lesson at school and we all wrote down what we're reading and this girl saw that I was reading Mae Finchie and said to our very handsome male English teacher oh all she writes about uh books about women's friendships like this was a bad thing I was like oh yeah, yeah. best type of book <laughs> yeah the best books I've read lately are I've recently started Elena Ferrante and she writes about female friendship and that's great yeah, actually reading I'm reading the third one of the Neapolitan series now. No, I love I love books about female friends. It's like the best thing to write about. Mm. Um, and I think maybe she covers so much. Again, I probably really understand the full depth of it when I was first reading them. But you know, in that sort of timescape of 50s Ireland, abortion gets covered and suicide and all these really deep, heavy things. And as a Catholic myself, my family, and I'm half Irish, it's so it was just such a world into things that I was thinking about and it's sort of fairly scandalous isn't quite right the right word but sort of that those sort of topics and mm. I just I love all her books I think they're they're all so thick they're usually about you know 600 plus pages long and it's just like the most comforting literature but it's still so meaty and there's so much to it so much to take from it I just honestly I could talk about any one of her books but The Glass Thick I think it was maybe the first or second book of hers I've read and again it's one that's just really really stuck with me above all the others so oh it's just I just I do I think everyone should read it I think it's just perfect I love her love her love her <laughs> well Maeve Binchy for me is one of those authors who I'd always a bit like Barbara Cartland I'd always heard of her I knew she was very prolific and she sold very well and mm -hmm. she wrote extensively within a specific genre but I've never really read any of her work so maybe I need to Yes. Try that. But again, this is why I started this podcast because I was sick and tired of reading the same book. So I was like, well, let's find out what other people are reading in a in a, in a way that will trick them to answering me. <laughs> exactly. Oh, so of those five books, which book would you say is your take it to a desert island? You could only read one book for the rest of your life. Pick. Oh, that's such a hard question. Um, 
Oh my god. Okay. I it would probably be it would it'd probably be the glass lake because heartburn's too short. And <laughs> <laughs> if no, I, from from listening to you talk, I thought you'd go go with that one as well. Yeah, I think it has to be. There's, there's so much to it. You take so much away from it. It's like putting on a really cozy jumper or chatting to your best friend. Uh, yeah, I think you get something from it every single time you read it. And you know, it's like I say, it's a very long book. It's enough to sustain you for. I mean, I read quickly. Long enough. enough to sustain you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have much to do. You can make that one last. <laughs> yeah, oh, that one. Yeah, no. For listening to you speak, I thought that would be the one you choose. So moving on to the uh, quick fire stage of the podcast. So question number one: fiction or non-fiction? Fiction, always fiction, hundred <laughs> percent. No hesitation. Question number two: How often do you? Um, so this question is: How often do you finish a book? And I always mean to rewrite it, but essentially, what I'm asking is: How many books do you read a month, a week, a year? Right. Oh, it really, really varies depending on how much work I've got on. Um, I am a fast reader. I think in the last couple of weeks, I've finished five books in the last couple of weeks. Um, but sometimes if I'm not really enjoying a book, it will take me a month of just sort of picking it up, putting it down and not really focusing up. But I would say oh, usually a few books a month, I'd say yeah. on average. But yeah, it, it varies so much. That's tricky. I th- also think that sometimes can be a tricky question because in some months, um, say December time, I can normally read maybe two books because I'm busy, you know, busy, December's busy time of year. But if it's, you know, August and I'm on holiday on a beach, maybe 10, it just, it really yeah. depends. And then sometimes you get a book and you start it and you just can't put it down. You know, like, I must read all of this in one day immediately. And other books, there are some books on my shelf that I've read about 10 pages every two weeks of them for about a year and I just can't I'm particularly thinking about a little life I keep trying and I don't get anywhere I'm doing my best yeah I know exactly what you mean I've so had those experiences yeah so speaking of August and being on holiday where is your favorite place to read oh okay this is tough because I think in my mind I have favorite places which is thinking you know oh like in the, under a tree in the sunshine in the park mm. and then a spider falls in a book and you're back inside oh I am because I hate spiders um so really for me it's on a sofa curled up in the corner of a sofa or an armchair possibly with a blanket away from all the spiders oh absolutely if there's a spider anywhere near me I'm not getting anything else done um, <laughs> we had just tucked up like that actually I'm in my study right now and I have a little nook behind me which I love to sort of sit in with a ton of pillows behind me and hide in there and read so yeah I think it's very self-contained snuggled up book I'm happy inside inside away from spiders inside kind of where people aren't going to walk past and distract you so question number four what's your favorite independent bookshop Oh, that's so tough. I've got, oh, I've really got two I'd like to talk about. No, you can but, talk about two. I, do you know what, this is the one question where I'm like, have as many as you like, because I think we need to support oh, them. <laughs> okay, well, in that case, there's um, City Books in Hove, which is wonderful. I used to work down the road from it and um, doing a job I absolutely hated. And it was very exciting because we recently got to go in there and sign some books. So nice. it's just really nice to have that progression from being the worst job in the world to doing the best um, well I have to say that book that bookshop's actually been recommended before so maybe I should check it out I'm yeah. I'm based uh in London so not that not a million miles away so I could call in yeah trip to the seaside look at the bookshops yeah so that, that is a great shop and the other one is Kemptown Books which I used to 
I went I went to school at the road from it and my mum and I would go in there sometimes after school and it's just lovely it's it, it's just it's a small little shop it's nice and dark inside it's lovely to browse the shelves and find things that you weren't expecting to find so I just and it's in the lovely part of Kemp Town very small, small villagey part of it so mm. yeah it has has lovely memories attached to me as well as just being a gorgeous shop that you should totally add to your Brighton <laughs> trip I definitely <laughs> yeah. will I do need to at some point go down to Brighton and try all the bookshops so yeah. the final question of the whole podcast what book are you most looking forward to reading next oh that's very really tough um so I am reading one of the Elena Franti books at the moment and I forgot this is terrible I'm so sorry to come on a books podcast and forget the name of every single book (laughs) but it's the third in the My Little Friend series and I've just started it I haven't had much time to read yet so I'm really looking forward to finishing to reading probably that one and then also to read the next one in that series. Yeah because it's a quartet I believe there's four. Um, Yes there are so I am on Those Who Leave and Those Who Stay Mm. And um, yes, I'm just looking forward to reading that one and this one because of the first one, my brilliant friend, my friend lent to me about two years ago now. And I found the second one in a little books market, um, I think in Bristol, like years ago, again, about two years ago. So it's taken me ages to get through this whole series, but I'm just really excited about it. I love it. I'm, I'm enjoying elongating it, stretching it all out. So I'm excited to read that. Yeah, like I said, I've started the first one, but I. I have a really bad habit for doing this I'll read 10 I'll get I'll get a book and I get really excited about it and I read the first 10 pages and then other things will just get in the way and I'll have read the first 10 pages for about two weeks and I have to go back to it and be like I have to read those 10 pages again to remember what happened yes absolutely I've done that so many times no I can I can remember I can remember something like, no, no I can't I need to reread this again <laughs> yeah and I think with some books they can be a bit complex so um a previous guest recommended Ginny Cooper um and this is another one where I've read the start and haven't really progressed much past there but when I go back because she has like such complicated cast lists I'm gonna have to go back and read the first 10 pages to remember who is who oh my god yes I actually read my first Julie Cooper this year and there are so many people in her novels it's so hard to keep track of everybody yeah. yeah definitely I think it's one of those books where I have to read it when I'm concentrating um but I think that's a credit to her and how complex her her world building is when she when she writes absolutely I mean it's it's hard work to create that many characters and that many separate worlds within this one universe of the novel um and by the end of it you know every single one of them so well and you either love them or hate them so yeah you also know you don't just know the people you know the horses and the dogs (laughs) every single animal I mean I could have added riders to my books maybe cry with some of the stuff that happens to animals in those books so (laughs) yeah oh no I'm like I said I'm about 10 pages into riders so I don't want to know if there's animal cruelty oh no um yeah we'll get we'll get there one day um so thank you very much for coming on the podcast and giving up your time I'm really grateful and I'm really enjoying your book in uh uh kind of like a looking directly into the sun way it's (laughs) like I said there are parts when I'm laughing and there are parts where I'm like it's a bit raw but like I said I think that's my personal experience and we were talking before we recorded on how many things before you lose a parent you don't realize involve a dead parent then as soon as you lose a parent you're like oh this is a bit of a minefield isn't it yeah and I realize I'm guilty of this but I am now so sick of the dead mother trope which I feel is like 
such a thing to give a character growth of like oh their mother died that's why they're complex and I know I've written an entire book about that but it is something that I've noticed more and more in different things which gets yeah. no I see what you mean and I do agree that it, it can be a bit of a trope but then touch wood my mom is still alive um but she's not very well and I think that actually I see why it makes you complex because it's very stressful shall we say yeah no it's 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 um possibly one of the worst things a person can go through in my opinion um it's it, it it's amazing how much of your personality it can reshape your experience of that so I do understand it's, it's huge I think it's when you watch some kind of soap and it's like just a byword for a character being drunk, grumpy like oh yeah their mother died it's just oh, mm. okay and like I say all of Disney dead mums yeah dead mums all, all of Disney and I actually <laughs> so when um, my mum was really ill this time last year and I have two friends whose both of their dads have sadly passed away mm. and uh, um, they were like after my mum um she was in a coma and so she came out of the coma and they were like, well, you can't join the club now. And they were like, we're actually really happy for you that you can't join the club. I was like, this is the club you don't want to be in. But that's it. That's exactly it. It's such a club that is a dead parent club yeah. and it sucks to be in it. But when, yeah, there are things you know when you join the club, but but I hope that you don't join it for a very, very long time. Oh, oh yeah, I hope so too. Well, I hope I hope don't join it until I finish this book or I'm never going to finish it because, uh, <laughs> sorry, so for... I'm just waving um, Amy's book around, but obviously listeners can't see that. But yeah, because yeah, I think if my mum were to die before I get to the end, I would have to put it down and come back in a, in a couple of years time because it's just that insightful, I think. I'm really enjoying it. Oh, thank you. It's really, really kind of you to say, but yeah, please don't feel like you had to persevere. I don't want to trigger you. It's just, yeah, some of it's quite raw, so. But thank no, you. Well, I'd, I'd rather read this than, I don't know, I'm trying to think of something with a dead mum trope. I don't know Aladdin but I suppose he had no mm. parents but Jasmine didn't have a mum either so oh god you're right Bambi famously died yeah, famous yeah famous no mum Cinderella mm. but again that's kind of had she had no parents either so maybe it's an orphan trope yeah yeah like Oliver Twist yeah hate that book so it's fine <laughs> <laughs> yeah not missing out at all and I think also <laughs> with, the, with the musical Oliver you it's less sad because when they're singing you can't really be sad exactly They're quite jolly I mean, songs yeah I mean the one when he's singing in his little cell that's a little bit emotional and but no I mean given that Nancy goes through some hideous abuse that is a very upbeat film so yeah exactly <laughs> Consider, considering the topic it's a very upbeat film <laughs> all right thank you so much for coming on Amy I will let you get on with your day um yeah I hope all get all my listeners have enjoyed hearing your picks thank you so much for having me it was, it was so much fun to be here Thank you.